The longest running study on happiness ever mm-hmm. is has been and is being conducted by Harvard University. They have found that the number one factor that determines your well-being is not income status, it's not even marital status, it's not having children or not. It keeps coming down to the quality of your relationships. At the end of the day, it's the number one thing that determines if you are happy and if you are healthy the quality of your social network. And so I just think it's worth paying more attention to, not just as a recreational pastime to have friends, but from a wellness perspective. Today, I am joined by the one and only Danielle Byer-Jackson. Danielle is a renowned friendship expert, PR professional, author, and speaker who has dedicated her career to helping people cultivate meaningful and fulfilling friendships. Danielle's expert advice has been featured in outlets like the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, NBC, and Oprah Magazine. She also speaks across the country about the power of female friendship and recently partnered with the one and only Bumble as the official spokesperson for their friendship platform, Bumble BFF. She's the author of the upcoming book, Fighting for Our Friendship, which is coming out later this year. Danielle, how are you feeling today? I'm feeling really good, and I'm glad to be here talking to you. Okay, and you just flew in, right, from Florida? I did. You look like you didn't just walk (laughs) off a plane. I took a shower. I freshened up, yeah, for the occasion. Okay, so I do have a preliminary question, and it's just to make sure that you're qualified to be on the show. And if you get it wrong, you do have to leave. Oh, my God. (laughs) Um, So the question is, do you know what you're doing? (laughs) The answer is no, I don't know what I'm doing. You're good. Yeah. You're good to go. She's good to go, guys. She's qualified to be on the show. She has no clue what she's doing, just like the rest of us. Okay, and I have a second preliminary question. I don't ask this to everybody, um, but will you be my friend? Oof. The answer to that is a definite yes. (gasps) Okay, good. a definite yes. (laughs) My parents were like, if she says no, like, we will pay. And the budget is also unlimited. Now I'm going to get into this little rapid fire round, just so we can get to know a little bit more about your background. And first question is, where did you grow up? I grew up in Tampa, Florida. Oh, mm-hmm. so you really are a Florida girl mm-hmm. at heart. All right. <laughs> what did your parent or parents do for a living growing up? My dad was a drill sergeant in the Army, and my mom was an accountant. Okay, Cadet Kelly. <laughs> um, did you go to college? And if so, what did you study? Yes, yeah, so I went to the University of Florida, and I studied English. What was your first job? Oh, my God. <laughs> My first job was at Wet Seal. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. No, I'm not. That sounds like a Florida thing. (laughs) (laughs) It was one of these like um, retail shops in the early 2000s selling, you know, those like sweaters with like your initial on the sweater and whatever the hot jeans were. It was just like the typical starting out job. And I just thought I was like way too cool. Okay. Working in the mall. Okay. You Mm -hmm. probably were too cool. I probably would have been scared of you in high school. What is your current job? My current job is a friendship coach and educator. Very, very nice. Do you like your current job? I love my current job. I love it so much. Okay. Now I want to talk about your crazy career trajectory. So from my internet sleuthing, what I could tell, and also I've been following you since 2020 on TikTok. And so I've, I'm like a little bit of a fangirl right now. I'm not going to lie. Um, but what, I, what I've discovered about you is that you were not always a friendship expert. You were yeah. once a teacher. That's true. Can yeah. You? So I actually started out as a high school English teacher. So I was teaching 11th and 12th graders. And um, between class and after school, the number one thing they wanted to talk about was friendships. 
It always came back to that. And I, at one point, became the academic chair. So I was in charge of the entire department. And it was like the number one thing that teachers were bringing me about their own classrooms was issues the students were having with their friendships. And so we kind of had like a front row seat to how issues of connection and belonging impacted everything else, their attitude, their academic performance, even their attendance. Like if you feel like your friend doesn't like you today or that you're out of the friend group, you don't even want to come to school. So it was just interesting to see how that kind of like infiltrated everything else. Um, And so then I ended up leaving the classroom to get into public relations. And I foolishly thought, oh, I'm no longer working with teenagers. So I'm leaving that drama behind. <laughs> Ooh, you thought <laughs> wrong. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, and then, you know, I'm working with these amazing, high-achieving, charismatic women. Mm-hmm. And they, too, privately mm-hmm. have their own friendship issues. Mm-hmm. And so for the past six years, for a living, I leveraged my background in education to mm-hmm. study what the research has to say about women's cooperation, communication, and conflict. Definitely working PR. I was like, perfect. Um, Okay, I'm curious. I'm going off script a little bit here. Yeah, let's do it. What was your friend, like, friend group like in high school? Like, did did you have friends? You know what's so funny is the very first day of high school, like, I'm a freshman, right? And the very first day, my mom's trying to, like, tell the girl in the neighborhood to sit with me on the bus and let Danielle sit with you at lunch. And I'm like, please, you know. And um, long story short, I walked into that cafeteria. You look around. You don't know who to sit with. And I took my lunch right back out and I went in the bathroom <laughs> and I ate that sad peanut butter sandwich alone in a bathroom stall. Oh no. But by the end of high school, I was on the basketball team and right. senior class president. And and so it just was such like a coming into your own, yeah. you know, getting comfortable with who you are. I think that's just like the theme of life, honestly. Wow. That is yeah. like legit a Disney movie. <laughs> That is crazy. You went from eating the peanut butter in the stall to being like school president. Yeah. Wow. That's like some high school musical stuff right there. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was awesome. But I learned a lot and, and made a lot of mistakes yeah. in my high school friendships. But yeah, I've, I would like to think I've grown out of some of those, those yeah. things. <laughs> and I think we all do. I was just hanging out with my high school best friends the other weekend and we were like, we were just like, we're, first of all, we were very weird in high school and like we were kind of mean to each other. Like mm. we just weren't mature women. We were like girls who made mistakes. I'm so glad you said that because like. I have shared that once on social. It did not go well. And I just thought it was mm. so interesting because I think people see the persona of, you know, it, it is my, you know, personality and brand to be, you know, warm and encouraging in the content. But the yeah. one time I was like, yeah, in high school, I wasn't the nicest girl. Mm. It was like, it wasn't received well, but it's like, but that's true. And I know now that that's from insecurities and things sure. like that. And I'm thankful that there have been things developed in me since then, but that's, that's yeah. my truth, you know? So if you're in high school and you're watching this, like it's okay, you're going to figure it out. You're yeah. going to work out all the kinks. Um, so walk me through, okay, so you went to college, you became a, a teacher and you were teaching 11th and 12th grade mm-hmm. students. Um, what happened to make you, make you just like completely switch? I think it's just kind of the state of education just in general. You okay. know, I was like, oh, I might need a new job. Never heard that before. I might need a new job. I don't know if you've read any headlines ever. No, I thought teachers uh, got paid really well yeah, and treated no, really like, well. Yeah, I was like, I don't and... know if I want to leave this summer. Yeah. It's pretty good. <laughs> um, but after, like, teaching all year and then having to work as a waitress over the summer break to make ends meet, I was like, I need something different. Yeah. Um, so it's sad. I, I would like to think that, 
I'm still a teacher through and through. That's why I say I'm a friendship coach and educator. Yeah. I think that'll always be in my blood. Um, but it taught me a lot about, you know, our dynamics and trying to relate to one another. And no matter what age you are, that does not change. We're all trying to figure out how to navigate friendships. Oh, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At first I w wondered when I learned about your teaching background, I was like, I wonder why she doesn't focus on high school students. But then mm -hmm. I was like, wait, wait, no, no, no. They go to school every day with the same people. You're going to make friends eventually. We need the help. <laughs> Once you get thrown out into the world and you move to a city where you don't know anybody and it's like, you're supposed to already have friends at that point. That's when it gets Ako taco. And that's why you have been so successful because there's such a massive need here and we are going to get into that I'm just curious though going back to when you made that decision to get out of teaching and get into friendship coaching um I think there's a lot of listeners out there who are feeling unfulfilled in their current jobs or just burnt out and they're just looking for something else mm. obviously looking back you're like oh yes I was a teacher and now I'm a friendship coach but I'm sure it wasn't that easy in the moment and you were figuring it out as you went along do you have any tips or advice for anybody out there who's like, you know, I think I'm just meant for something different. I'm meant for something more. There's something different that I feel like I have to be doing. I don't like what I'm currently doing and kind of figuring out what that next step is. That's such a great question because when people, you know, when I do outline the story of, you know, this happened and this happened and now I'm here, it just is so easy to look back at things and see how they all make sense. But I didn't know during those pivot moments what was happening, you know, and I, you know, I'm a person of faith, so I believe that things were orchestrated that way. But, you know, for anybody who's feeling discouraged because they don't understand how where they are right now is connected to where they're supposed to be. I felt like that so many times, you know, being a teacher, I thought I was going to be that person who yeah. worked 30 years as a teacher and retired. I loved it so much. So it was especially disruptive to realize, I think I have to leave. And if I'm being totally honest, I was very sad because I thought I am just a teacher. Yeah. I don't know how to do anything else. Mm -hmm. I mean, truly, I don't know how to do anything other than be here every day and do these lessons. Mm -hmm. And so the first thing I had to do was figure out, okay, what are some other jobs where I can use the same skills? I like to read. I like to write. I like people. Yeah. So I really kind of shopped that around. Like, what else could I do? Okay, public relations. So kind of getting strategic about it. Um, but I do believe looking back, everything was orchestrated in such a way that my unique experiences in each area all beautifully work together. And they're all the things that I need to do what I do today. Yeah. Isn't it funny how looking back, you're like, I get why that all happened. Yeah. The way that it happened, there really was a reason for everything. In the moment, it was so discouraging. But, you know, one door closes, the other one opens. It's yeah. a cheesy saying, but goodness, is it true. Um, I love that so much. And would you say that you're somebody who really listens to your gut? Or was this like a very strategic thing for you? A little bit of both. A little bit of, you know, it gave me a sense of control to say, I'm going to sit down and think through how these skills transfer to another industry. So I think that made me feel like I have some control over what's going to happen. Um, but a lot of it too was just the generosity of other people, connecting with other people. Somebody I met six months ago saying, oh wait, I know someone that I can introduce you to. And so a lot of that too, I mean, it sounds kind of corny and woo woo, but like connecting with other people, like you have to be in community. I mean, I, I got put onto so many resources and opportunities because people were like, wait, what do you need? I think I know someone and being unafraid to make the need known, which can yeah. feel embarrassing, but people wouldn't have known how to 
help if I didn't say, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to figure out what to do next or mm-hmm. I'm looking for a PR gig. Do you know of anything? I, I, you know, so I think making your need known and leaning into other people was such a key. Oh, absolutely. That's one of the biggest things is I've actually helped a lot of teachers get out of teaching, oh. which is so unfortunate that we lose so many great people mm-hmm. just because we don't support them in the ways that they deserve. Um, anyway, different tangent that I'm sure you could talk about. I help a lot of teachers, you know, transition out and a lot of people transition into different careers and you low-key do have to humble yourself. You kind of do have to, you know, be a beginner again and be an amateur again and say, I need help. I always tell people the first thing to do is just go to your network and just say, hey guys, like I'm no longer happy being a teacher. I really love kids. Mm. I really love educating. You know, what else can I do? Because there really is so much more that you can do with the skills you get from teaching. And I think Mm -hmm. people do kind of get that, well, I'm just a teacher. And it's like, no, if you can wrangle a class of 30, like nine-year-olds, you can, you can definitely run a meeting. (laughs) Oh, 100%. Yeah. Now I'm like, I can do anything. I can do literally anything. (laughs) Yeah. And now you know that when you get out in the real world, no one knows what they're doing and no one knows what's going on and you just have to make it up as you go. Pretty much. All right. So I really want to get into this next question. I'm very, very curious what you think about this. So as somebody who has worked both BC and AC, as we're calling it, before COVID and after COVID. I'm, I like enter the workforce when it was normal. And although I'm a freelancer, I've permalanced. So I've gone through periods of time where I went into companies every day and I, I made friends, you know, I sat at the same desk. I had my work wife. I had my work besties. Like we went out to lunch. We'd go to happy hour. Like it was genuinely fun. And it didn't matter if some days the work got dry. I had, I had my, my friends and I looked forward to going to work. I brought my dog in for a while to this one gig I had. It was just like really fun. And then I also worked at another company for a long time post-COVID, and that just didn't happen. Mm-hmm. It just, I didn't make those like natural friendships, and it was like the same type of company. So I'm curious, that's just anecdotal, but I'm curious if you, th- like how you think the work bestie, maybe like the fall of the work bestie, you know, yeah. like have they gone away? And is that something that we should consider when we are talking about remote work? Because those relationships we're going to spend one third of our lives at work. Mm -hmm. We spend most of our waking hours at Mm -hmm. work. And so if the people that you're talking to and interacting with, you don't have that kind of like friendly relationship with because every meeting you have is over Zoom and you're talking about an agenda and you don't really have those soft micro interactions where Mm -hmm. you go to lunch, where you get coffee, where you say good morning. Um, I'm just, I'm curious. I know that's a lot. I'm curious what you think the impact of that is having on our generation. I have so many thoughts on this. It's like not even funny. You need a notepad. Uh, Yeah, seriously. Okay, let's take a break for me to recharge. No, I have so many thoughts. First, I want to first acknowledge, I know people have very strong opinions on in-person work and remote work. Yeah. I'm just going to share some facts, okay? Um, You're right. We do spend a lot of our time at work. 90,000 hours of our life, the last I looked it up, will be spent at work. The number one place adults make friends is at work. And what's interesting is a lot of times we tend to um, like romanticize when the time that we were in school. It was so much easier to make friends. It was so much. Yeah. It's not necessarily that everyone was so great. Yeah. It's just that you clocked a lot of hours together and proximity plays a very large role in becoming friends because you're there and we're having the shared experience every day. And so we do tend to share and engage in self-disclosure and become battle buddies over our shared hatred of the <laughs> teacher or the boss. Seriously. So those things kind of organically form and you become my friend because of, I see you all the time. Yeah. And so, yes, you kind of lose that 
with remote work. Yeah. That's just what it is. Um, and yes, you might have to do a little more heavy lifting to facilitate those opportunities for yourself now, because you, you know, do have the benefit of some kind of social backdrop or institution to help kind of, you know, form that for you. Like mm-hmm. you have that backdrop and when it's gone, you have to manufacture that for yourself. That is just true. Yeah. Um, and I know some people are like, oh, I want to keep my work and personal separate. And, and I totally get that. And, yeah. and I totally see how in some spaces you have to be kind of discerning about what you want to do. Okay. But again, if, if you're being practical, you might say, I spend a lot of my time at work. There are people here who aren't that bad. Okay. And I'm open to forming friendships with them. Now, I do want to emphasize this because I know a lot of times when we talk about friendships, we're talking like bestie or nothing. <laughs> and there's there's some stuff in between. It's a there spectrum. Are options. It's, a spe- it's totally a spectrum. Yeah. And there's something known as Dunbar's number. And the idea is that our brains only have the cognitive capacity to maintain 150 social connections. Whoa. Now, if you think of it in terms of like one big circle representing 150 and then smaller concentric circles inside of that, the number gets smaller and smaller, but the degree of closeness increases, right? And so you only have the capacity cognitively to handle three to five ultra close relationships. And then I think the ring outside of that is like 10 to 15 50, so on and so on. I say that to say, you need all of those rings. I need my besties who I know intimately, but I also get benefit from the people on the fringes, which some people refer to as uh, fringe friends and sociologists Mm -hmm. refer to as weak ties. But there's value in knowing Dan from accounting who Mm. you bump into in the elevator. He might not be my bestie, but he always has something funny to say yeah. or he's connecting me with tips that I need to know to like advance yeah. my career. But we get benefits from French friends. Mm-hmm. And yes, we have fewer of those social interactions when we're at home for work. Yeah. So I'll just say it like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's networking too. At the same time, I feel like back in the day, you know, you'd be like, I'm kind of looking for a new job and they'd be like, Oh, well, my cousin actually does this thing. And those micro interactions, those weak ties, they're no longer formed at all when you're not in person. And I think you're right. People have feelings about it. Obviously, you know, people love working from home. You get to get your cake and eat it too. Um, But we do need to talk about the social cons of working from home. Um, So that was really interesting. Dunbar, that was fascinating. I (laughs) I really love that. Um, So what are your recommendations then for people who are working from home? Is it they need, because I mean, I'm a freelancer, so I've worked from home a lot, even before COVID. And I have always had to prioritize going out and hanging out with friends, going out and being social, yeah. because if I don't, I get weird. <laughs> it's true. Like I, I What does that look my, like? What does getting weird look like? You just like? get like weird, especially <laughs> with social media. Like you just get like uh, out of touch, I guess. And especially as a content creator, I'm always trying to like talk to people face to face as much as possible because we spend so much you know, a lot of us spend way more time on a screen talking to people mm-hmm. than actually face-to-face talking to people, yeah. which is pretty freaky. Um, and that's got to have an impact on our psychology. Yeah. <laughs> it has to. We're not going to know for decades to come, but then we're going to be like, we messed up our brains. So I was listening to, I don't know, you on an interview or something, and you were talking about that fascinating Harvard study that's been going on for, what, almost 100 years mm-hmm. now? Are, am I putting you on the spot? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Over 700 men. Yeah, yeah. So just like very broadly, the mm-hmm. longest running study on happiness ever mm-hmm. is has been and is being conducted by Harvard University. They have found that the number one factor that determines your well-being 
and overall life satisfaction is the quality of your relationships. And I know you center on work, work is important and having money gives you access to things, it's all important and it adds purpose to your life, which is also important, but it's not income status, it's not even marital status, it's not having children or not that makes you happy. It keeps coming down to the quality of your relationships. Mm. And so I just think it's interesting because it's kind of at the heart of everything. And, you know, even when I got into like friendship coaching and friendship education, people still to this day kind of scoff, you know, like, oh, you know, (laughs) and recently I was at a dinner and a girl was like, oh, a friendship coach. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. But it's like, it's so validating because at the end of the day, it's the number one thing that determines if you are happy and if you are healthy the quality of your social network. And so I just think it's worth paying more attention to, not just as a recreational pastime to have friends, but from a wellness perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. I want you to break apart that word quality. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what does quality look like and how can we have more quality friendships? That's a great question. You know, a lot of people will define it a lot of ways, but I would say, does this connection add value to your life? Do you feel good pouring into it? Does it pour into you? Do you feel like you're performing here? Or do you feel you can relax into some semblance of authenticity? I mean, I think those things determine if this connection is solid. Do I feel comfortable or safe sharing things about myself, taking risks, making mistakes? Do I feel loved here? Do I feel seen here? And again, you know, there are some relationships where it will be very intimate and some where we're not that close and deep, but I love seeing you. I love seeing you once a week for the time we do talk. It, it, it boosts my mood. You know, that's really important. So I think it's important because I know a lot of people who are very busy and who have a lot of followers and connections. Mm-hmm but are not mm-hmm. uh, satisfied okay. and that, that matters. Got it. Mm-hmm. And what about um, people who say, well, I'm just introverted, so yeah. I don't like to go out a lot um, or I don't like to talk to people a lot. What do, you, what do you think about those people? Do you think that the quality of their relationships is as important to extroverts or what's your feeling on extroverts versus introverts, I guess? That's a great question because a lot of times when I talk about, you know, oh, you need friends, you need different kind of friends. There's often, you know, there are introverts who are like, no, this doesn't apply to me. And I think there's a difference in how much social interaction you like to thrive and quality of relationships, because I don't care if you go out less than an extrovert, the relationships you do have in your life, the connections with other people, are they quality relationships? Meaning Mm -hmm. this adds value. I feel satisfied. Mm -hmm. Um, I think there's even something, and I don't want to get it wrong, but I think there's even something that says, one of the indicators of whether or not you will live till 80 is whether or not you have someone you can call at two in the morning to tell your troubles to, which sounds very specific, but they use that as kind of like a metric of your longevity. And the idea is ultimately, if you have that, it probably signals other things. You're probably Mm -hmm. plugged in, you have social support, you have a space where you can share which is the number one factor that prevents depression is having someone to talk to. So it really encapsulates a lot of other things to have that. So whether you're an extrovert and you like high degrees of social interaction or an introvert and you really kind of appreciate your own company, you still need other people and the relationships you have need to be quality relationships. You can't skirt around that. Okay. So I heard you mention one time, tell me if I'm getting it right. They asked a group of men, uh, if you needed, if you were in a pinch and you needed a few bucks, who could you call to ask for money? 
who would, and who would give it to you? Who would you trust with that kind of like task? Um, and some of the men named friends who had passed away yeah. and they hadn't even known it. Mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah. So there was this, you know, study they did and that was one of the questions and they asked them to list the names of those they feel comfortable asking for money. And some of the men listed names of people who died. And it's like funny, but deeply sad. Deeply sad. <laughs> and tell me why that. It, so we were just discussing like women tend to think, you know, always complain about I always text her first. She never texts me first. The relationship's very one sided. And yet men are out here naming friends who were literally dead. They are not texting them first at all. So why is there that difference between men and women? You know, so I, I love talking about friendship at the intersection of gender because we do operate differently when we congregate in certain groups and and societal expectations and things like that. Um, So I say that to say, for men, they are notorious for having more superficial friendships. Now, this does not mean they don't have the capacity for more. We're not talking about capacity or ability, but a tendency to have more superficial friendships. Well, women have deeper friendships. And in terms of uh, our degrees of self-disclosure and intimacy, looks very different Mm. on average for the average man and the average woman. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting because men will be like, oh, you know, we're just so chill. Like we don't get caught up in all that. And it's true, Mm -hmm. but it's also because you're not as close to begin with. Yeah. Women are more integrated. In fact, there's research that shows that, you know, women integrate their female friends into their lives to the degree of a sibling. Men integrate their friends into their lives to the degree of a cousin. So that's, I mean, why it's painful when there's friendship breakups. I mean, it's deep. And so that's why we're especially, you know, uh, uh, rattled by, you know, I don't know if she's getting closer to somebody else. You know, on the surface, one could dismiss it as that's really petty. But the research shows that women really value mutual prioritization. Mm. So if I feel like you're my number one girl, yeah. I like knowing that you also think I'm your number. It's just what we do. And it's also why we have very intimate, very strong bonds. So, I was just hanging out with my, my two girlfriends from high school and we were talking about how when we ever get together, it's like this therapy session. Yeah. And like we do laugh and stuff, but I just feel like when guys get together, they don't talk as intensely as women do. Why do you think that, in, again, in general? Yeah. Why do you think that is in general? Okay, this is so fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I think it's because men really value um, portraying an image of strength and self-sufficiency and autonomy, right? Mm-hmm. And so does it threaten my image of autonomy to tell you I'm struggling in these areas and I need your help with these things? It kind of like detracts from my era of, I got it, I'm strong, I'm a conqueror, is my mm-hmm. thought, right? But for women, we do not really have those airs about us. We're like, oh my God, I'm struggling. Like, what are your thoughts? And it's like, girl, I got you. Like we lean into that kind of relationship. We need support and we bond over that. And so I think that might account for why the conversations themselves look different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that, again, there are a lot of, I don't know that that's necessarily biological. I think there's a lot of cultural pressures that make it that way too. Like it's, it's safe and normal for women to talk, but would a man be teased by another man if he was saying hey I want to talk about you know my fears you know so so I think that plays a role as well but um yeah there are some notable differences and I wonder if that's a nurture versus nature thing I wonder Mm. if women are raised because I know women are raised as little girls keep a diary talk about your feelings it's okay to cry and boys it's generally again the opposite you know you can't just like keep a diary as a little kid everybody's gonna be like as a little boy at least so 
women are conditioned from an early age to express their emotions and that's okay and mm-hmm. boys are not so do you think that that's something just inherently like in our dna or it's just something that's societal and culturally learned I don't know. It might be a little bit of both. I just know it's it's just interesting, you know, and I have a five-year-old son. And so knowing these things, I try to be conscious about, you know, tell me how you feel or giving him even the language to describe, you know, so yeah. even saying, baby, are you, are you frustrated? Yeah. Are you disappointed? You know, so even equipping him from a young age, what's going on? And it's totally okay to tell me how you feel. Um, but it's interesting and it makes me, you know, sad because there are consequences of that. We're seeing, you know, men are, they're saying are having a mental health crisis because, yeah. you know, if you are going through something, who do you go to? And there's even data, you know, from 2021 that finds that in terms of American respondents, mm-hmm. that women, when they're in emotional distress, they go to their partner and their friends, but men go to their parents mm. and their partner. So even that creates a dynamic where a lot of women feel like they're doing a lot of emotional labor emotional. because yeah. my husband, my boyfriend, my brother, my dad, he doesn't have people to go to. Yeah. So he comes to me. So women often are burdened with, you know, <laughs> I've got to deal with my husband's stuff and, and yeah. invite him places and help him through. And my, so, you know, it's just a lot of ripple effects from yeah. us not leaning into friendship in the same way. It's so funny. So like in my family, I have four brothers and a sister. Oh. And so therefore I have four sister-in-laws. So lots of women and men. And we have these uh, retreats every year where we take all the women and we all go do a weekend and all the guys go do a weekend. It's usually like in a cabin. The girls, we spend weekend like cooking and talking about our feelings and like drinking wine. And the guys, you're like, what'd you do all weekend? And they're like, we went rafting down a river. Like, it's just completely different. But yet, both of our cups are getting filled. Like, I mm. genuinely think the guys are still having fun. And I'm sure that they do have some deep conversations sure. here and there. They're just not like, that's not something that they get really excited about. And I find that me and my sister and my sister-in-law and my, my mom, we get excited. We're like, we're going to go like chit-chat for the weekend. And the guys are like, we're going to golf, you know. So it's just so <laughs> funny seeing that difference. And again, it's just general. Not every guy or girl is yeah, going to be sure. like that. Um, so if, uh, you know, maybe a, a wife or a girlfriend is watching and she sees her spouse or partner struggling, or maybe there's a guy watching and he's really struggling, what is some advice you think that is like actually practical and appropriate for men who are just looking to make more friends? Maybe they just moved to a new city and they're working this job and like they have some people at work they might know, but like how can they take that next step to actually make some some friends? Yeah, okay, I love that question. So for women listening and they have a guy in their life, um, I recently did an episode on my podcast, the Friend Forward podcast, and we interviewed a bunch of men and I asked them because I was like, I don't know. And a lot of them were telling me some interesting things and they said for the women in their life, you know, um, don't ever uh, shame them for telling, you know, sharing their feelings, even if it's a joke. Yeah. But that's the whole, but that's what we want. So if he's ever, you know, upset about something, not, oh, you're so upset or, oh, gosh, you're getting soft on me. Be mindful of how many times you playfully dig at that. The second thing is if you're encouraging him to go with his friends, don't say it uh, like you need to go talk to somebody to motivate them. Um, It's better if you push for them to go do things together or if you say things about them having wisdom that they need to share. Mm. Like, you know so much. He could probably benefit from being with a guy with you. You know so much. So those things are more motivating than like, you need guys you can talk to that you can open up with. It's just a different Mm -hmm. motivator. So they operate a little bit differently. Um, And then finally, invite them to some of the events you go to. I say some, because mm. sometimes women are like, you're inviting your boyfriend again. To okay, everything. So every now and then be like, oh, do you want to come? If it's, you know, every now and then. Um, for men who are listening, it is okay to be like, yeah, I'm looking for 
some guys to like connect with you know maybe lead with activities maybe say like hey i am working on this project i'm looking for some guys to help me out mm. you know or i'm working on so so some of those things give a, a third object i've heard it referred to so they say yeah. men often need a third object what's the thing we're doing yeah and conversation will follow making a fire yeah chopping so, down trees. Yeah. so <laughs> like if you want to start a group online or in yeah. your neighborhood and say like yeah a couple of us are getting together because i'm trying to put the shed together but it's just so complicated <laughs> and i know that might sound reductive or stereotypical but that might be more motivating to a guy as opposed to like a, we're going to get together and talk about how we feel yeah. so you know i would say lean into it but but for the guy who's listening who feels like he's alone you're not i get the emails all the time oh, you yeah. are not but you have to kind of have the courage to um raise your hand and say hey i'd like to link up because you'd be surprised by how many others feel the same way the more we talk the more scrunched up i'm gonna get by the way it's just what i do <laughs> yeah cuddle up i get cuddle really comfy up. last time i took my shoes off but it's kind of hot in here so i'm not gonna <laughs> do that with you <laughs> um okay so i want to talk about bridesmaids and groomsmen i don't know why but i don't know a single woman who has had an easy time picking her bridesmaids mm -hmm. Why do you think that is? I feel like it wasn't like that for my mom's generation. So I've had several coaching sessions where the woman's coming to me to talk this through. Okay. And again, I can't stress enough, onlookers or outsiders are tempted to dismiss it as, that's so petty, oh my God, so much drama. Yeah. The reason it's such a big deal is because of what we said earlier. Mm -hmm. Women really value mutual prioritization. Oof. I like feeling that if I'm your number one girl, you're my number one girl. I like that. Well, when you now have it the one time in your life where you have to put your friendship hierarchy on display, yes. that's going to cause issues. So if I'm thinking we're close, we, we know everything about each other, we see each other every day, and then I'm either not the maid of honor or I'm not in the bridal party at all, Yeah, you do have women walking away thinking, wow, this isn't what I thought. Yeah. This friendship is not what I thought. I don't even know if I want to stay in the friendship anymore. Mm. I mean, multiple times mm. have heard that because they feel like they just unearthed this revelation. Wow, you are not as close to me as I thought. You know, so it's, it's a whole thing. It's also very disruptive because a lot of friendship stuff that you've been sitting on tends to come out mm -hmm. during that time. Comes out of the woodwork. Yeah, so if you chose the childhood best friend, but she has a tendency to make things about herself, or the mm -hmm. friend who's like, okay, I'm your new friend and I'm closer to you than her, but you chose her over me, and mm -hmm. and then them trying to, some of them signal their closeness with you, you know, yeah. at the Bachelorette, they're trying to show that they've known you longer. Ugh. There's just a lot of things going on <laughs> you know, during that time. And I wanna, you also mentioned women on the other end, because some women don't have an issue figuring out who they're going to pick. Some women do not have bridesmaids mm -hmm. as options at all. Yeah. So I've worked with women who are like, I don't have anybody. I I've actually worked, mm -hmm. this sounds super specific, multiple times have talked to women who are pretending they want a small wedding. Mm -hmm. But it's really because they don't have anyone to be a bridesmaid. I mean, multiple times. Wow. So on the other end, feeling a pressure too showcase who your people are and realizing oh my gosh i don't have four super close girls in my life what? so i'm i'm actually relieved for the growing trend of people who are like you know what we're not even having a bridal party we're, not doing we're just gonna do it our way so i'm kind of relieved for that because it can be yeah it can be an issue oh but there's so much to unpack there um 
you know, for me, I'm very, very honored when somebody asks me to be a bridesmaid. I personally, I love weddings. I cry at every <laughs> single wedding I go to. I just love how it's like all about love and partying yeah. and just like mm, good vibes. I love being a bridesmaid. I love supporting my friends. I've always been a very loyal and supportive friend. Um, on the flip side, if you don't ask me, I'm good with that too. Like I, I really am just good either way, but but I do understand how people can take it so, so personally, especially when, again, that, that mutual thing that you're talking about where I thought we were better friends than we actually are. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think something else is that it's kind of like the MySpace top eight. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. It's like, this is the time when you officially make the roster and it's like you either make it or you don't. And it's very much like a clear, like you'll see those girls who have like 13 bridesmaids mm-hmm. and you're like, oh my gosh, she had so many friends, but really she was just in a sorority and she graduated last year. So like mm-hmm. that's another thing that's really interesting is that I wonder if it's more complicated now because people are generally getting married later. So like millennials and Gen Z, mm-hmm. the age we're getting married at on, in general is older. So if I got married like the first year out of college, you know, it's kind of easy. You pick your college friends. But if you're a few years out from there and you start to drift away from college friends a little bit, that's when it starts to get a little sticky and you got these new work friends and you're kind of in this in-between space. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a very, very stressful thing for a lot of people. And I have had a few friends just forego the bridesmaids thing and the groomsmen thing. And they're like, you know what? I mm-hmm. have a sister I don't get along with, or I have an aunt that wants to do this, or I have a childhood friend who will get hurt if they're not my maid of honor. So I'm just going to avoid it. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. People are trying to find ways to work it to yeah. fit where they are. And, and I get all that for the person who's like, feeling overwhelmed right now like I gotta go get a bunch of friends <laughs> yeah. so what do I do I like to like calm us down and make it very tactical like this if you're listening and you're thinking I feel like I need to get more people in my life but I have no idea how I'd even start doing that yeah there are three types of loneliness mm. intimate relational and collective mm. intimate means you intimate loneliness means you lack being intimately known For a lot of people, that is satisfied by a best friend or a partner. Mm -hmm. Then there's relational loneliness, meaning like I need some relationships where I know them, they know me. And then there's collective loneliness, which means a lack of feeling like you're a part of something greater than yourself. So a lot of people find this community in church, volunteering, Mm. certain causes. They Mm. feel like I'm a part of something bigger. Me, I'm a part of this group. Yeah. So if you're feeling disconnected, it's one of those things to give you a little bit of direction so you don't feel so overwhelmed. It might be one of those things. So one exercise, and I'll end with this, that will help you figure out where you need to start moving your feet is let's look at collective loneliness, right? Mm -hmm. I want you to think about the phrase, I am blank. Mm. how would you fill in that sentence Mm -hmm. and how can you do that? Let's say five times. So for me, I might say I am black. I am a woman. I am a creative. I am a Christian. Like what are the things of my identity? I would fill that out as then your next task is, are you in community for those things? That's it. So if I'm a mom, where am I going where that part of my identity is affirmed I'm getting support? As a black woman, I need friends who understand the unique experience of going through the world like that. As a creative, I need some people who can like have a creative (laughs) conversation and not just talk Excel all the time. You know, I I need that. So for the person who feels overwhelmed, like, man, I hear you, Danielle. I know I need connections, but I don't really know what to do. That might be the first thing to do to start having clarity on I know I where I need to start moving my feet oh wow how much do I owe you (laughs) damn 
Yeah, they were saying in that Harvard study that loneliness is one of the most complex emotions a human being can feel, mm. and it's one of the most damning things that can be a death sentence. Yeah. It's crazy. These lonely uh, participants in the study would just die earlier if they didn't have somebody like supporting them and keeping them going and didn't have that, that bucket. So at the end of every episode, we are going to co-author advice. Okay, yes. And so I hand-selected a submission that I thought you would be the literal expert for. Hi, Erin. I'm hoping you can help me with the dilemma I'm facing in one of my friendships. My friend, let's call her Sophie, and I have been close since we were in high school, now in our mid-20s. However, slowly over the past three to four years, we've been growing apart and it's becoming a bit awkward for me. The problem is that Sophie has become very outspoken about her political views, which are vastly different from my own and have become increasingly more fringe since 2020. She's always been a smart and skeptical person, someone I used to go to to discuss controversial topics. A couple of years ago, she married a guy who has more extreme views, staunch conservative, spends a lot of time on Reddit and listening to conspiracy theory podcasts with, that he completely believes are true. I love hanging out with her, but when anything vaguely political comes up, the conversation turns sour for me. I find myself losing respect for her when she says something blatantly untrue like it's a cold, hard fact. And the worst part is she knows I lean to the left, but it's like she is still working to convince me that I'm flat out wrong. I'm all for having friends with different opinions, but it's reaching a breaking point where her opinions feel less and less like something I should bite my tongue on. She's not mean in any way. She's just so deeply wrapped up in these thoughts and beliefs. I don't want to cut her off or break the friendship entirely, but I feel so awkward bringing it up to her because I don't want her to think I'm being self-righteous or judgmental. Should I bring it up to her? Should I minimize contact? Or would you recommend I break off the friendship altogether? Um, so I like to say, I like to offer things to consider as you make the decision that's right for you. That's how okay. I kind of get around that, okay? Okay. Um, the first thing is like, yeah, to your point, so many people are going through this. I've had that where you're like, okay, I don't know how to feel because I love you, but also I can't condone literally anything yeah. you're saying. Um, first, I just want to validate. Um, to some degree, we do have harmony in our friendships when we share the same worldviews. Not opinions, okay. but we see the world the same. Like yeah. we subscribe to the same ways that it ought to function, what's right, what's wrong, what's inhumane, what's immoral. Like it brings us together because we see the world the same. Okay. So I totally get how it feels very jarring when you're like, wait, we don't see the world the same? Yeah. And so the the main thing I would say is, for a lot of people, when we vary on political things, some people can come to some kind of agreement. You know what? Let's take it off the table. Let's yeah. not talk about it. But sometimes that doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And if you find that the issue on the table is one where you feel like your humanity or somebody else's humanity is threatened because of these ideas, okay. like these ideas are harmful, it makes total sense to me that you feel like it's repellent. Like I can't get close to you yeah. because I don't have respect for the things that you say and believe. Yeah. And what makes it really tricky is we think, oh my gosh, but do, will this make me a disloyal friend? What does this mean? We don't have to vilify somebody to distance ourselves from them. Mm. It's easier to, it's yeah. easier to be like, you're a jerk and leave, but there's gray area here. Absolutely. So I would say if you find that you can have boundaries, okay, we won't talk about these things and still maintain a friendship, go for it. Yeah. But if it's to the point where it's causing resentment, you're questioning who she is as a person. Yeah. You feel like her views are harmful to the world because she's perpetuating things that are dangerous yeah. and you can't just contain it by minimizing your frequency of interactions you might have to consider, hey, this is somebody who, if they needed me in a crisis, I would be there. Yeah. 
but it feels harmful to continue to engage with this person in my life and to go ahead and grieve what you used to have, but get more comfortable with a distance that allows you to maintain some sense of, uh, I guess, joy and integrity. Yeah. For sure. And she, and the last thing I'll say is because she mentioned, like, I don't know how to bring it up to her. Yeah. It's okay to say, like, man, girl, I'm finding it hard to, like, click with you lately because I don't see things this yeah. way. And, and I don't know. It's and, I, and I'm not trying to be self-righteous. Like, she used that phrase in the yeah. message to say it. Like, I hope you don't think I'm, yeah. think I'm judging, but um, it's really hard to connect with you because I think some of that stuff is really dangerous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm curious to hear what you think. What are your thoughts? It's a, it's. Kind of a gray area thing, Ooh, right? It's tough. And I, I really resonated with what you say. A lot of the times people will come to me and they'll say, I really want to tell somebody else this, but I just don't know how to say it. And I'm like, say it exactly how you just said yeah. it to me. Yeah. Not always. But like, you know, <laughs> sometimes I'm like, just tell them that. Like, just tell them you don't want to be self-righteous. You don't want to sound condescending or judgmental or whatever. But just tell them like, maybe can we just avoid politics? Because I notice that every time we bring it up, like maybe things get a little tense or like, you know, I have differing views about this. So can we just stick to like these other topics that we love to talk about? But yeah, I mean, it might mean minimizing contact if it is causing them that much anguish. Um, And people too grow apart. Like, you know, your interests will maybe grow in different directions and that friend might become a different type of friend to you. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I would say that that's really, that's really difficult. Um, Mm -hmm. But I would definitely talk to the friend about this in a very like loving and just non-judgmental way. That would be my recommendation, my expert friendship recommendation. (laughs) And it's hard not to want to change a person. I think that's where it gets tense too. Like, Hey, let me show you all the ways that that's wrong. And one, and just a talk to your point, talking to her, maybe acknowledging, Hey, it's, it's been really hard lately. I know we see things differently and I don't know how to get over that. I'm really struggling. Like to even say that I'm struggling to connect with you because just lately you see some things that I Mm -hmm. just, girl, I can't get with, you Mm -hmm. know? Yeah. And you know, it's really hard, but if, to your point, if, if you guys can't take it off the table and you find you want to talk about these things, but you Mm -hmm. can't even talk to your friend about the things. I mean, friendship is based on, I trust you. Mm. I respect you. Mm -hmm. I see things the way that you do. We can talk about things together. If all that's removed as a consequence of differing political opinions, I mean, yeah, you know, people change too. People change over time. Yeah. Um, and that's okay. Well, I think that was fantastic advice. Um, I hopefully Sophie and the writer get some type of resolution because it sounds really stressful and it's maybe even stressful for her too. So you never know, maybe you're doing her a favor by bringing it up. Um, but I wanted to give you a little moment here to talk about your new book. I mean, you got a podcast, you got a book, you got a coaching, you got your PR agency. I don't know. And you got two kids. Yeah. How do you keep your head on straight? Like, you must have a team of people. So great. So tell us about the book. When's it coming out? When can we expect to buy it and read it? Yeah. Thank you for asking about that. The book is titled Fighting for Our Friendships. And the whole idea is just what are the mechanics of women's friendships? Okay. Because I don't know if you're seeing the same things on socials that I see, but there's like seven f- flags that she's a narcissist and three signs that belong. <laughs> and it's like, I get it and that's helpful. But at the end of the day, you end up saving 20, 30 videos, yeah. trying to commit all these rules to memory yeah. of what's against girl code and what are the red flags. And <clears throat> I just don't believe it should be like that. Yeah. I believe that if we take an aerial view of, wait, what brings women together and what tears them apart? If you learn that, then you'll be more confident and equipped for the little things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, all of my stuff lives at betterfemalefriendships.com. And I'm so grateful to you 
for facilitating a moment to talk about this, like for mm. hearing that your audience wants this and mm -hmm. saying, let's talk about it and for allowing me to lend my voice to the conversation. And I really appreciate that. Oh my gosh, of course. It was a pleasure to have you. <laughs> I mean, there's a reason you've been featured in all these publications. There's a huge, huge need. You're very articulate. You're very well researched. And I think you're making a huge impact on the one thing research says that affects our happiness yeah. and our longevity. Um, so thank you. Thank you so much. Please go follow Danielle on social, go to her website, do all of the things. And I can't wait to read your book. I'm so excited to add it to my bookshelf. I'm sure it was a ton of work and research going into that. Everything you touch turns to gold. So I can't wait to read the book. Um, and thank you. Thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me.